Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hello, welcome to the Speakeasy Podcast. My name is Mike Ayers. I'm an arts reporter here at The Journal. Today's episode is about real women making a run in Hollywood. Several of The Journal's arts reporters have explored the notion of how women are portrayed on screen, both in TV and film, and we are going to discuss that today in a Speakeasy Roundtable. Today we have here with us arts reporter Ellen Gammerman, who recently wrote about the new types of female characters on television shows. Hello. Hey, Mike. Also with us is the books reporter Jen Maloney, who had a recent profile on Reese Witherspoon quest to bring more female-centric biopics to screen after the success of Wild. Hey, Mike. Also with us is art supporter Lucy Feldman, who wrote about how thriller books like Girl on the Train and Gone Girl are being adapted for the big screen at a very fast pace these days, and they don't always present the female characters as the most neat and tidy people. Hi, Mike. And lastly, we have art supporter Alexandra Wolf, who recently profiled actress Jessica Chastain, and how lately she's been playing a real woman in movies like Zero Dark Thirty and Interstellar. Thanks for joining us. So, Ellen, what do we mean when we say real women? Well, I think there's a lot more to like and a lot more to hate about these women. They're much more complex characters than you might see in a traditional sitcom or or comedy or even sort of a straight drama. In a lot of cases, it's happening on um, cable or streaming uh, outlets where there's a lot more freedom for these characters to be frank and open and completely disregard any gender norms whatsoever. And the shows, what were the shows that you looked at? I looked at Love, uh, Togetherness, Catastrophe, Master of None, and You're the Worst. All char- all shows where there's kind of an, an equal lead between the men and the women. There's at least sort of a, a very comparable female part. Yeah, and they seem to kind of, the women in these shows, is there kind of like a running characteristic that is really pronounced in them, do you think, compared to the men? Well, I just think they're they're so um, frank about everything, about sex, about what they want. They're not sugarcoating anything. They aren't afraid of anybody's feelings. If you think about other I mean, they're still they're still likable. You know, they do they 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 have a sweetness to them, or there's a tenderness to the relationships that they're in. They feel like they are, um, you know, they, they exist in reality, say more than the the past uh, women that may, or in men as well. Like these these kind of larger than life characters that you laugh at, and they're kind of buffoonish, and they do goofy, silly things, and that's how we spend our 22 minutes. But these people, like. Uh, uh, Jillian Jacobs on Love, you know, she is, you know, what a lot of people would describe as she's 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 a mess, right. okay. Um, but you know, I guess it's a little bit more relatable because um, she just doesn't have her act together in a lot of a lot of ways, but is is certainly trying. Yeah, I think what passed for a complicated female character in a lot of shows previously. Um, not to say, of course, there are exceptions to this, but, you know, sort of a bundle of quirks and maybe they have something serious underpinning it all. But essentially, there isn't a whole lot of depth to them. 
or they're a flibberty gibbet with a lot of neuroses that are funny and relatable and likable, but they don't feel like a real person who you might know or even uh, admire for all of their flaws. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, in the latter half of last decade, the, the quirkiness factor, the Zoe Deschanel was, it was, it was everywhere um, for, for a while. And then you know, she battled that a little when I think the new girl launched and trying to erase those things that were kind of associated with her character's in the past, that kind of, what you just said, like that quirkiness is what was, was really big. Yeah, I mean, do you, what about you guys? I, I know for Reese Witherspoon, her characters are anything but um, one-dimensional quir- yeah, quirky think, ladies. Um, the, the idea that, that women in real life are complicated and messy and don't have everything together, um, sometimes they engage in really self-destructive behavior, for example. Um, those are the types of roles that people like Reese Witherspoon are looking for and want to play on screen because they reflect the women that they know in real life. Um, and Reese Witherspoon feels like there has been a dearth of those kinds of real, meaty, complicated, but interesting women roles, um, female roles to play. I think also, um, at least Jessica Chastain was uh, was saying that that she considers a real woman a strong woman and so she she put me in my place when I asked her I was like oh you know what is it like do you look for strong women and she said you know would you ask a man that and then you know Shonda Rhimes too said oh how do you balance your life she goes do you ask a guy that and we actually did yes Um, but she was it was just sort of interesting that she thought that in real life women are actually stronger than they have appeared on in the movies and on TV in the past. Yeah, it certainly seems like it. I think the these TV shows, Ellen, are they strong? Like when you were talking to the creators, did they see these characters that they were, you know, putting on screen as as strong people or just kind of, you know, flawed people? Real, real people. Again, you know that that they wanted that that aspect of the the complicated aspect to show through, but. It is kind of funny that there are now similarities. This is in itself becoming a bit of a, a model. In in the TV shows that I profiled, at least two of them had a subplot with a plan B pill. <laughs> um, there was uh, it, cheating in a couple of them. Two of them are music industry publicists. <laughs> I mean, it's just... It, I think that there are certain kind of cliches, even in this non-cliched genre. Do we think this, um, these types of shows, uh, I guess on TV, is this kind of like the new norm? Are there going to be more of these coming up? Well, I, uh, Sharon Horgan, who is in Catastrophe, is a creator of a new show coming up on HBO, Divorce, and she has a very particular sensibility that I'm sure I would I would predict would show through in in that comedy and. Um, togetherness wasn't renewed for another season, uh, and that had some very strong female characters in it, strong in the sense of being compelling. Um, but a lot of the others that I wrote about are working on another season or are likely to. So it does seem like there's, even though it's not a wide mainstream kind of show that everyone will know, it has a very devoted audience that is vocal on social media and committed to those characters. Reese Witherspoon, by the way, really loves Catastrophe. She (laughs) tweeted about it. (laughs) Of course. Um, Well, good. Well, Jen, so in your article about Reese, it seems she seems determined that there is is a market in film for these types of characters based on book sales. What do you think? So 
it was about 2011 when she was having kind of this this existential crisis um, as an actor. She really was frustrated with the scripts that were coming across her desk. There just weren't compelling women. A lot of the characters were the girlfriend of, the the wife of. Um, they didn't have much depth, and they certainly weren't complicated or messy. So her husband said, honey, you read more books than anyone I know. Why don't you just go and option some books? Um, so the first two books that she and her um, new production partner optioned were Wild and Gone Girl. They optioned these two books before the books were released. Mm-hmm. And both of them then hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list the same week, one for nonfiction, one for fiction. And then Reese and her production partner were just off to the races. Everyone sort of perked up and, and said, whoa, you guys have an eye. Y- you clearly have a sense for a story that's going to sell. So they made both of those into movies. She starred in one of them, Wild, and together they grossed more than half a billion dollars. Since then, She's optioned many, many more books. Um, and really what they're looking for are um, complicated female protagonists. And they don't necessarily have to be likable. They don't necessarily have to be nice. Um, she, in, in my interview with her, she told me some fun stories about meetings she's had in the past with studio executives. Um, telling her what they did and did not want to see Reese Witherspoon do on screen. Um, You know, she has played a lot of nice, likable characters in the past. And and so these studio executives were uncomfortable with the idea of her, let's say, engaging in promiscuous sex on screen as she does in Wild or taking drugs as she does in Wild. That's why she decided, you know what, I'm just going to produce these myself. Um, And as we've seen in her first two projects, there is an audience. Those two movies did very well critically and at the box office and she's got a whole bunch more projects in the works including a series coming out on HBO um, called Big Little Lies which is a murder mystery set among the parents of an elementary school and it's going to have Nicole Kidman, Laura Dern um, Reese Witherspoon, an all-star cast and that's something I think we all should be looking forward to Does she seem optimistic about about the future? Yeah, she says look, um Half of the population, more than half of the population of this country, of the world, uh, is made up of women. And that women do buy movie tickets. They clearly read books. Um, and she thinks that there is a, really an untapped market there for films that feature strong, interesting, complicated women. Um, she, you know, points to characters like, uh, like the central character in Wild, like the central character in Gone Girl. Um, to say, hey, a woman doesn't have to be nice and likable on screen. Um, there's an audience for complicated, messy women who maybe, you know, engage in affairs or lie or are unreliable narrators of their own stories. Um, there's, she's, she's really bullish on, um, on these movies finding, uh, finding a big audience. It feels like, too, like the storytelling has kind of evolved. Just the way the story is actually told. I mean, Gone Girl's actual storytelling and its reveals of its twists were were very fun. Um, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. 
but it couldn't hurt from like say like 20 years ago when the narratives were just like pretty straightforward you know i mean you know thelma and louise was probably considered a landmark for this this type of uh, uh characters on screen and it was back then you know think about how many people were talking about it back then and how many people still reference it today i mean those two women can't <laughs> go do an interview without being asked about thelma and or louise um but it, I don't know. It feels like it feels like the stuff now is um, maybe a little more I don't know innovative in terms yeah. of the storytelling. Well, there's a there's a trend right hap- happening right now in publishing of thrillers with um, female protagonists uh, who are unreliable narrators, and the stories are full of lots of twists and turns. Uh, we saw it with Gone Girl. We saw it with Girl on the Train. And there's a whole bunch of other thrillers coming out um, in the next year that have these similar elements. Um, and what people like Reese Witherspoon are doing is they're, they're taking these stories and, you know, adapting them for the screen and saying, Hey, there's, you know, there's so much potential here. There's such great material that we could, we could make films that appeal to the same people who read the books, but also reach a whole new audience that, that hadn't originally come to the book, um, and really make big blockbuster films based on these characters and these storylines. All right, we are going to take a short break. Please come back and join us. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Thanks for joining us on the Speakeasy podcast today. We are talking about real women, the concept of quote-unquote real women appearing these days on TV shows and in film and in books and how that's all working together in the entertainment business. We're here with four of our arts reporters here at the Journal. Uh, Lucy, you wrote about the thriller genre recently. Um, murder, drugs, sex, it's all at the forefront of these. It's great entertainment. Are these real women, though, or is it kind of feeding into a stereotype? I think yes and no. I think that the issues that these women are facing in these stories are very real. They're tackling domestic abuse. They're tackling workplace abuse, sexual violence, marital issues. Those things are all real and important And it's great that we're seeing them show up in literature from a female perspective. Um, They're also flawed themselves. If you look at the girl on the train as an example, the protagonist, Rachel, is heartbroken and she's drunk. And those are characteristics we might not have seen before. Another character in that book is Megan, who's very restless and she's not really satisfied with her domestic life. I think that's real and very relatable. But thrillers are entertainment. They're necessarily amplifications of reality, and that's why we pick them up and why we love reading them and can't put them down. So yes and no. I mean, we see, like, the classic stereotype in a thriller is probably the damsel in distress or it's the femme fatale, and I think we do see a little bit of that, but those things do not define the characters in these thrillers that are really taking off. It seems like it's they've they've evolved. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Jen Jen spoke to the trend of the thriller that has the unre- unreliable female narrator, usually written by a woman. I think those things are new, um, but even so, 
I don't know, as a reader personally, I'm kind of ready to read something else. I feel like maybe we might have peaked a little bit with that particular zeitgeist. Hmm, what could be next? It was witches and wizards, and then it was vampires, <laughs> and now we've moved on to thrillers. Exorcism is big. Exorcism, <laughs> right, don't forget that. All right, good. And so you wrote about, you know, in, in a profile of screenwriter Aaron Cressida, is that how you pronounce her name? Aaron Cressida Wilson. Aaron Cressida Wilson, who is the go-to for turning these hot book thrillers into screenplays. What was her take on characters in this recent boom? Did you talk to her about, you know, how she looks at transforming these people that are developed over 400 pages or so into, you know, 90 90 pages on a a screenplay and an hour and a half, two-hour film? Yeah, definitely. She is a machine. She's a screenwriting machine. She started out in theater. She was a playwright. And then she kind of gradually moved into indie films and then started slowly taking on studio work. And she actually turned in a draft of the screenplay for The Girl on the Train just a few days, maybe a week before the book came out. So when she got that job, it was kind of business as usual, not a big deal. And then the book came out and was this instant mega bestseller that never slowed down. And now she's kind of been catapulted into this world of doing exactly that, like adapting these thriller books to the screen. And I think something about Erin is that she is very confident and happy with her sexuality as a person, and that really comes across in her writing. I heard a story from someone she worked with who was talking about sitting in this board meeting with a, you know, an illustrious director and some producers, and she started talking about this sexual experience that she had in a bar um, because she thought it was really relevant to a scene and what they were trying to do with this character, and all the men in the room blushed, and she was like, what is the big deal? This is This is what we need. So... I don't know. She talked a lot about how it's maybe easier to swallow a complicated, particularly a sexual woman, if she's also kind of bad. Yeah. So if she's a femme fatale type. Yeah, that that blush factor seems to, you know, I guess maybe resonate with some people. They can't deal with it for whatever reason. But then, you know, you have things like Fifty Shades of Grey, and that's a mega seller as as a book. You know, it does great at the box office. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's something kind of going on right now in, like, the culture and where where things are, the broader opinions of, of how people view these types of characters and, and women, but it, it seems like something, right? I have kind of a similar anecdote, which is that Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll, which is a big bestseller right now, um, and is going to be adapted as a film by Reese Witherspoon. Um, there's this scene in it that involves uh, a, a gang rape, essentially. And um, it was just a few weeks ago that the author, Jessica Knoll, wrote an essay revealing that it was based on a personal experience that she had had. And this isn't something that she had felt comfortable revealing um, earlier, but she finally decided um, just before the launch of the paperback edition of this, you know, incredible bestseller, she decided to sort of come out and say this experience that a lot of my readers have been asking me about is actually based on a real experience. And I think maybe that's one of the threads that we're finding in these characters and these portrayals is that women are sort of bringing their own personal experiences, some of them negative, some of them painful, um, 
to their storytelling. And so we're seeing more of this on screen and, and it can make you uncomfortable, but at the same time, it sort of resonates in a way that feels maybe authentic. In a sort of a lighter way, um, Mark Duplass, who is a co-creator of Togetherness, was talking about, so that show's written by two men, two brothers, but to develop those female characters, he had the women, Amanda Peet and Melanie Linsky, come into the, they, they came into meetings and just told them, basically, the, the brothers just strip mined their, their lives and asked, you know, tell us what's important to you right now and what's going on and how you're feeling about, you know, what are you grappling with in your personal life and what are the issues? And then they would take the sort of emotional center of those actual real life things that were happening to these women and find a way to fuse that into the script so that the actresses had a very real emotion to connect to when they were doing that scene. It made it so much easier. They were sort of playing the actresses' strengths in that way. And they had, in a lot of these shows, the women are encouraged to improvise and or they're written by women. So there is just a lot of pulling from personal experience in one way or another. I think there's a flip side to that as well, though. Um, I spoke with Lisa Hilton, who is the author of Maestra, which is another female-driven thriller that just came out last week. And she, her character, Judith, is very sexual and also very brutal and has all sorts of crazy escapades that, you know, you just, you wouldn't even be able to imagine until you read about them in this book. Lisa was telling me that all of her interviews have included a question like, how many people have you had sex with? Like, Mm. are all of these experiences based on things that you've done? Did you really go to a sex party in Paris? Like, what's that like? And she was kind of saying, why do we have to assume that if a woman is writing a novel that has something outrageous in it that it's autobiographical. <laughs> um, why do we have to assume that it's autobiographical? Like women, she, she was like, does anyone ever ask Easton Ellis how many people he's murdered? That's a good point. <laughs> the whole idea of um, it's good to be bad, it feels like it used to be written for for male titillation. But I loved that line in your, in Lucy's story about, it was a quote um I think I forget the exact quote, but Aaron Cressida Wilson was saying, oh, there's so many ways to be bad. And just like you guys were saying, the success of Fifty Shades of Grey and, and some of these characters, it's, it's for women's titillation. It's not necessarily so attractive to men, maybe. But women are like, oh, there are so many different ways to be bad. Wow. You know, it's sort of this new, you know, appreciation, maybe. <laughs> Um, one of the stories that Reese Witherspoon recounted was that, you know, through her career as met with studio executives, at one point one of them was talking to her about a character who was attracted to two men at once. And the studio executive goes, she's attracted to two men at once? That's not really likable. And Reese goes, yeah, but it happens. <laughs> Isn't that the plot of Sweet Home Alabama? Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. Um all right, good. So, Alexander, your profile of Chastain, we've talked about it a little bit already, but it seemed to kind of echo um, a lot of recent conversation what's been around Hollywood, that these professionals are hungry to play relatable people, um, that it's fun to be in a fantasy world, but probably more rewarding professionally to portray someone who's uh, really authentic. Uh, did you get that perception from her? That she was authentic? That kind of striving for those types of characters to play. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, she said that um, when she sees a script now... 
uh, if the if the female character isn't strong enough or isn't real enough, she'll she'll she won't only say no, but she'll go contact the director and explain to him why uh, what's wrong and why this character isn't a, the correct representation of women. Not in an aggressive way, but she says she'll sometimes tell them that. I feel like there's still this perception of Hollywood and the people who work in it as if it's kind of the opposite of real, that it's like so superficial and fake. Does all of this that we've been talking about today have, have an uphill battle in getting people to really come and just relate to these people and really, really connect with them? Well, after talking about some of these characters, it kind of feels like the downhill battle. I mean, so many, so many of these people have so many of these same problems. But, but um, I, I guess maybe because of all the conversation around, you know, pay gaps in Hollywood and women, uh, female actors being pretty outspoken about not being paid as much. I wonder if that'll be reflected in the scripts. Um, and also, at least Jessica Ch- uh, Chastain was saying that she doesn't. She has this policy about not dating actors, and she was really particular about, you know, the way that that the actors themselves, not even their characters, are represented in the media and the tabloids. And so, I mean, I wonder if that'll start to change because she's sort of. It was part of her strong woman thing. She said, "Oh, I, I would never date an actor because then the story's about both of us. It's not just about me." Um, so, oh wow, <laughs> you know, it's sort of funny. Um, so, uh, but so she's look. She's producing too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she has this com- uh, production company. Thank you. Um, that is, it's a Trudy style, uh, Trudy Styler and Celine Rattray. Um, I could be pronouncing that last name wrong, but, um, but so yeah, and it, they're looking for, you know, female directed and produced movies. So it does seem like there's some kind of backlash against being a male heavy industry. At the same time, it feels a little weird to be saying, wow, there are female anti-heroes what a what a revelation right. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true it, does, yeah. it feels like there's like this conundrum you know because hollywood you know they they want to make entertainment things that people just go and can escape in but then everything that we've been discussing today is based and grounded into you know very real and relatable things and uh can they be successful doing both i guess is what i would curious to see down the line you know five ten years from now well reese witherspoon had great success Success with Wild and Gone Girl. Now there are two projects coming up that I'll be curious to see. Um, you know, if if her success can be replicated, um, we've got Luckiest Girl Alive, which could come out as early as next year, and um, Big Little Lies, the HBO series, which is definitely scheduled for next year. Um, both of these have women heart, you know, at, at the heart um, and center of these stories. Lucky's Girl Alive has a character who starts out rather unlikable. She's sort of spoiled and seems to have um, have sort of built this life, that, this enviable life, um, and seems to be kind of superficial. But sort of slowly her backstory is unveiled, and you come to understand why she acts the way she does and why she's kind of a difficult, unlikable person. Um, and there are some sort of twists and surprises that are that are built into the story um, so that when you come away you may or may not like her but at least you understand the way she is um, and I think it'll be really really interesting to see if this type of story can replicate the success of say a Gone Girl um, where you had a protagonist who was pretty unlikable and totally unreliable um, but that story clearly rec- you know, resonated with, with tons of, of people 
Okay, thank you for joining us today on the WSJ Speakeasy Podcast. Listen to all our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and even Spotify. And now you can listen on an Android device. Look for us on the Google Play Music app. Just search WSJ. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.